As the Israelites journeyed through the desert, they began to complain. They were tired of eating manna and wanted meat like they had when they were slaves in Egypt. Frustrated by their complaining, God gave the Israelites exactly what they wanted. A huge wind blew an enormous flock of quail right into their camp. They had so much quail that it took them two days to collect it all. They spread the quail out, but before they could consume it, God sent a plague that killed those who asked for meat. The Israelites continued their journey toward the Promised Land. They came to the outskirts of a city called Canaan. Moses sent spies ahead to see if the city was a good place to live and how tough the battle might be to take it over. The spies came back and told him the land was amazing, flowing with milk and honey and all kinds of fruit. But the people living there were huge, like giants, and that it would be impossible to defeat them. But two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, told the Israelite leaders they should go into Canaan because God was on their side. The leaders refused, becoming so angry at Joshua and Caleb that they almost executed them because the Israelites didn't believe that God would help them. God sent them to wander in the desert for 40 years. In the desert, the Israelites were having trouble finding water and began to complain. So God told Moses to speak to a rock and water would flow from it. Moses obeyed God, but only partly. Even though God had told Moses to strike a rock for water before, God told Moses to only speak to it this time. But Moses disobeyed and struck it anyway. God wasn't happy with Moses' lack of trust and punished him by allowing him to see the promised land, but not enter it. Moses was getting pretty old and looked for someone to take over for him as leader. He chose Joshua. Just before he died, Moses stood before the entire nation of Israel and told them the story of how God had promised land to Abraham, freed them from slavery in Egypt, and had even given them commands to live by as God's special people. When he finished, Moses climbed a nearby mountain. God showed him all of the promised land, and Moses died. Beth and I moved our young family from Scottsdale, Arizona to Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I remember about a month later, it was spring break, and it shocked us. Everybody was going south for spring break. We, we were the only, I felt like we were the only ones left. In fact, I said to somebody, last one out, turn off the lights. But after living there a year, I got it. Six months of cold and six months of darkness. When the sun was available, everybody took off to enjoy it. And we did a couple of years, a lot of time I had to be, I had to stay home, but a couple of years we went down to Florida. And I remember this one particular trip, and Beth, you will remember it. We were driving back, and I was driving, and we're going through Georgia. Everybody in the car was asleep, and I saw this sign that said, Civil War Landmark Battlefield. 
And I'm like, I'm just so fascinated by history. So I took the turn off and off I went, which wouldn't have been such a bad thing, except I didn't realize it was an hour and a half drive to this battlefield. So we're driving along and about 45 minutes into it, everybody wakes up in the car and their first question is what? Where are we? And with great excitement and enthusiasm, I said, well, I thought it would be great if we had this family experience and visited a Civil War battlefield. Yeah, that was their response too. <laughs> Immediately what I'm hearing is, well, we've got to get back. We've got to go get ready for school tomorrow. We've got to see our friends before school starts tomorrow. What are you doing? And I said, oh, you'll like it. You'll like it. So we, we arrived and two members of the car decided that they were going to stay in the car. They were not going to get out because they wanted to know how displeased they were by the decision I had made. Well, the three of us went in and we had a great time. We didn't stay too long. We were sensitive. And we got back into the car and off we went. An hour and a half before we got back onto the freeway. Here's what I want you to see. They were all captive in my car. They had no choice in the decision that I had made. And so the decision I made not only impacted me, but it impacted everybody else in the car. When we look at this era of history of Israel that is so relevant for us, what we see is that the decisions of a few impact the many. And there are four, what I like to call, spiritual viruses that I identify as I read through this scripture this week, as I read through the story this week. There were four spiritual viruses that we need to be aware of because, friends, like it or not, we're all in the same car. And often I'm not driving. Other people are driving. And I don't always have control over where we're going, and you don't always have control over where we're going. And so, how do we live together in a way that honors God in the midst of this journey that God has called us to be on together? There are four viruses that I want you to see, and each of the viruses impacted the nation impacted everybody, even though it was only just maybe a few, in the same way that the, these viruses don't just impact us, but they impact the people around us. And sometimes they impact communities, nations, and the world. These are four viruses that are common to all of us. Common, you will identify with them. Maybe not personally, but certainly you have been impacted by them. So we are 650 years from the moment that God entered into a covenant with his people through Abraham. He said, Abraham, you're going to be the father of a great nation. And God indeed has created a great nation. And he's called them now out of Egypt, three million strong. Think about that. When they left Egypt, there were three million Jews that made that journey. Pastor Lon gave us a great message last week, and we saw how they came to the base 
of Mount Sinai, and God gave them his commands, his word. And he said, if you obey, life will go well for you. For a year, they would remain camped there at the base of Mount Sinai. And now, they are journeying to the land that God had promised, the land of Canaan, the land that is flowing with milk and honey, which just means it's a land where they can prosper. And so it's 275 miles from the base of Mount Sinai to the promised land. It's a journey on foot that will take anywhere from 35 to 45 days with more than 3 million people. And in that journey, we're going to see four things that happen. Four things that negatively impact the entire nation. And friends, these are four things that impact the people who know you best, impact our community as a church, impact our community here in the greater Chino Valley, and impact our nation and world. Here's the first thing that I want you to see, and that is paralyzing fear. Paralyzing fear. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever had somebody who's, quote-unquote, driving the vehicle, driving the car, and because of their fear, everybody, <clears throat> everybody is impacted. Have you ever had decisions made by somebody who's in charge that is marked not by faith but by fear? It impacts everybody. And if you go to the book of Numbers chapter 13, I'm going to begin reading in verse 30. Now the nation has come to the promised land. They're right on the brink of experiencing everything that God had promised. He said, you will take the land. It will be a place of blessing. But you have to, by faith, enter the land. Well, the nation was unsure, so they sent 12 spies into the land to come back and to give a report about what they saw. And what we see here, what we see here is that 10 of the spies come back and they say, there's no way we can do this. We can't do this. We're not fighters. We were slaves. We're not battle trained. And their cities are fortified. And then they give a report that the, that the people who live there in that land, they're giants. We are like grasshoppers compared to them. They can just step on us and squish us. We can't go do what God is asking us to do. It can't happen. So we read here, Caleb, one of the two who said, no, if God has called us, we can do it. He says, it says, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Now, friends, here's a great principle. God never calls us to do something that he can't do through us if we just have faith to take the step. He never asks us to do something that he can't accomplish in us and through us. When we say no to anything, we're saying more about what we believe about ourselves than we do, I'm, I'm sorry, we say more about what we believe in, about God than we do about what we believe about ourselves. God calls us to do something and we look at who we are and say, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. But God can do it by faith as he works in me and through me. He can accomplish it. He can do it. 
But he's waiting for us to take that step of faith. We read on. But the men who had gone up with him, the other ten, said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And it's true. From a human perspective, they are stronger than the men of Israel. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Friends, what is staggering about this is there is so much to fear, isn't there? There is so much to fear in this world. And we have to decide, and we have to make a decision. Are we going to live by faith, or are we going to be driven by fear? If you are being driven by fear, you are going to make decisions that are contrary to the ways of God. If you are driven by faith, you will step courageously into the very places that you never believed you would go and you never believed you could go. But it's, what you be, it's a based on what you believe about God. If God is calling me to do something, he will empower me to do it even if I don't see how I can do it. Correct? Isn't that right? Isn't that true? You see, when you say no to God, you're saying more about what you believe about him than what you believe about yourself. I've had to learn that lesson in my life. Times when I've gone to the edge of the high dive and edge of the diving board, and I look over and I think, ah, no, that's way too high. And what do we do? We crawl back and we climb back down the ladder. This is what happens to the nation. This attitude of fear spreads through the nation, and the nation says, no, we're not going. We are not going to do what God has asked us to do. The Lord understands that what is lacking is understanding of who God is, his power, his strength, his faithfulness. And so they say no to God based on what they ultimately believe about God. So what does he do? He sends them for a generation, for 40 years, out into the wilderness again. Where each and every day they're going to have to depend upon him. And through that journey they are going to learn who God really is. So that when they come to the promised land again, instead of fear, there will be confidence in the nature of God. I want to ask you this morning, how is fear driving your life? How is fear causing you to make decisions? This is something I have to check my heart on all the time. Now, we don't do things that, that are courageous just to be courageous. We do things in response to the call of God in our lives. And as a pastor, that's something I've had to wrestle with over the years. We have to discern together where God is calling us as a people. We do that together. And together we understand where God is leading us. And then with courage and faith, we step out and we go into those places, even though we don't see how it's going to work out well. We trust God and we go and we take that step of faith. 
And when we do, friends, we see the miracles of God. People say to me, I don't see God's miracles. And I ask them, are you living a life marked by faith, courageous faith? Are you living a life where you're willing to say yes to everything God is calling you to do? When you do, you will see God do what only he can do. Faith is how we please God, according to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Without faith, we cannot please God. God will never call you to do anything that you can do apart from him. But we're always, when we, are, when we are evaluating decisions, we're always thinking, can I do this? Can we handle this? Is this something we can accomplish? God says, no. The only question you need to ask is, where am I taking you? Where am I calling you to go? Where am I calling you to be? When we answer that question, then we take a step individually or we take a step together. I was thinking about just some of the different ways that we struggle with paralyzing fear. Let me just mention a few. Maybe you have a deep-seated fear of rejection. A lot of people do. You're not alone. But is that fear keeping you from saying yes to God? Is it keeping you from being honest and real in your relationships? Is it keeping you from sharing your faith with your neighbors and your family members in obedience to God? Is it keeping you from, from being willing to open your heart to other people? Well, Pastor, you don't understand. I've been hurt in my life. I do understand. But we are called to be community together. And we need to take that step of faith that says, you know, I'm going to open my heart again. I'm going to trust. Now, we have to be wise in that. And we have to make sure that we open our hearts to the right kinds of people. But maybe, maybe I'm going to join a small group and, and really be a part of the community of this small group of people where I get to know them and they get to know me, where we actually hold each other accountable in our lives to loving God and loving others. That takes great courage. Maybe you have a fear of failure and you're afraid of, of serving in an area of ministry because what if you don't do a good job? If God is calling you to do it, he will empower you to do it. I've shared with you before, if my eighth grade speech teacher knew what I was doing today, he would, he would roll over in his grave. I was one of the worst people in the entire class. I never saw for myself a life of speaking in front of people. I never saw that until God called me. Because I believe that when God calls, he empowers. I believe that when God calls, he equips. I believe that when God calls, it's not us, but it's God who is doing it in us and through us. Can you imagine a community of people who believe that was true? Can you imagine how God could change the world if we just open our hearts to him? And so what is the spiritual antidote? It is to live by faith. It is to live by faith. Joshua and Caleb, they were the only ones who made the decision that they were going to 
follow God. Now, they were in the car, and they too didn't get to go to the promised land at that time. The whole nation leaves, and they leave with them. So they're impacted by the decision that is made by fear by the entire community. So we read in verses 6 to 9, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes. Why? Because they were so taken aback by the lack of faith in God and the lack of confidence in God. And they said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. You're not hearing the truth, they said. If the Lord is pleased with, with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of that land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. He doesn't say they're not powerful. He doesn't say they're not, they're not able to destroy us. What he says is, the Lord is with us. He, what he's saying is, that's all we need to know. And so we take courageous steps of faith, not because of what we believe about ourselves, but because of what we believe about God. This pandemic has no power over us as Christians, for the Lord knows the number of days in our lives that was preordained. Any election does not have power over us because God is sovereign. Now that doesn't mean we don't engage, it doesn't mean we don't get involved, but we do not live with fear, and we are not driven by fear. We are driven by confidence in the God who is willing to lead us on our journey as long as we are willing to open our hearts to him. And then here's the second thing. Negative, grumbling, critical, or complaining spirit is a second virus that infects people. It infects nations. We see it in America today, don't we? When it affects churches. Listen to what it says. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Those were the chosen leaders by God. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt. Can you believe that? All that God had done, if only we had died in Egypt. Or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt, they said to each other. What were they in Egypt? Slaves. And now they're saying, wouldn't it be better if we were living as slaves? Now we say incredible. How could they have that perspective? I would say that we tend to have that perspective often as well. Where we lack trust in the nature of God. We believe, and this is at the heart of sin, that God cannot provide what it is that we really need. And so we take life into our own hands. We take the wheel. We say, God, get in the passenger seat. I'm taking over. I'm going to lead this journey. And it ends up taking us to places that God never intended us to be. So what happens? They say, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Now God brings judgment upon them. 
Friends, there are two problems with grumbling, complaining, and a critical spirit. Now, when I talk about this, this does not mean that if there are concerns, we don't raise them. Of course we do. This does not mean that if there are things that we see that aren't right, that we don't say something about it. We do. But we've got to be careful that we are not grumbling against God, that we are not grumbling against his plan. We are not grumbling against his purposes. And so what we do is we have got to check our own hearts. Now, some of you are very discerning. Some of you, by nature, you critique things. That is a great strength. That is an incredible strength. But like any gift, any strength, there's always a flat edge. And that flat edge is that we become critical and we grumble against everybody and everything. That is where we cross the line. This is one of those sins in the Bible that we just accept today. We just accept it as being all right. Now, as I thought about this, I wrote down just what the people had already seen. They had seen that God had created a nation through an old couple that should never have had children. God began a nation. They saw that he saved the nation from the famine by sending Joseph to Egypt. They saw that he saved them from their slavery to the Pharaoh. They saw this firsthand, the most powerful man in the world of his day. They saw that he provided food and water for them miraculously every day along their journey. He he saw that he gave them laws to govern their life so that life would go well. They saw that God had taken them and led them to the promised land. They saw that God had assured them of his presence. And yet, in the midst of all of that, what do they do? They say, it's not enough. It's not enough. How often do we grumble against God? Lord, it's not enough. What you have provided in my life, it's not enough. I'm going to take life into my own hands. I'm going to take the wheel of the car, and I'm going to drive where I want to drive. When we say, when we grumble, we're saying to the Lord, you are not enough. Now, sometimes we need to critique. We need to evaluate to get better. But we have to do it in a way that is healthy, in a way that doesn't damage the body, in a way that doesn't break relationships. We have to find a way to speak the truth and love together. It doesn't mean, I don't know, I don't have all the answers on where we go. God doesn't give me all the answers. He gives it to us as a community. So I listen. I listen to our elders. I listen to our staff. I listen to you, the congregation, because God speaks through his people. And we decide to go together as we discern the voice of God. But over the years, I have seen churches just splinter over grumbling and complaining and criticism. I have seen over the years, I have seen, I have been in churches where you walk in and you sit down and you just get this feeling there's something going on here that's not right. Isn't it? I mean, it's crazy. You just sit down and you just get a feeling something's wrong here. And it's usually a schism. It's usually some kind of brokenness in the body or in the staff. 
God wants unity for his people. But that unity is celebrated around the will of God. That unity is celebrated together as we follow the plan of God together. And so our job together is to understand where God is taking us as a people. So that we can be everything that God wants us to be in this world. Here's the third Here's the answer to that virus. The antidote. Philippians 4, 8, I love this. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. If you struggle with grumbling and negativity and a critical spirit, begin, memorize this verse and begin to live it out. God, I want to begin to see the great things that you are doing. Do you just have a sense that you don't see the greatness of God around you, that you don't see the incredible things that he's done. As I look back on my life, I see so many great things that God has done in my life, so many incredible ways that he has, he has just shown himself in my life. And I got to be a part of that journey, and it's so incredible. It's so amazing. And I'm so thankful, and I'm so grateful and it expands my understanding of who God is. And so when he calls, I'm ready to go. A few weeks ago, I shared with you that uh, when I was called to go to Michigan, man, I didn't want to go to Michigan. I did not want to go to Michigan. I didn't want to go east. I wanted to go west from Arizona. But it was clear, and Beth discerned that call better than I did because of my own fears. And God said, go, go. And so we went. And because we obeyed, we got to see God do things that I am so grateful I got to see. I'm so grateful I didn't miss it. And we took all sorts of risks as a church as the Lord led us. And we saw God do amazing things. And we saw God literally impact a community. It was so incredible. That's what I want to see here. But we have to do this together. Here is the next, the, the third one, and that's explosive anger and rash action. And I'm going to go through this very quickly. You saw it in the summary of what we read this week. But remember that God had instructed Moses once before, to, when they needed water, to go to a rock, to hit the rock with a staff, and water came, from, flowed from the rock, and gave water to more than three million people. Now the people are complaining again. And God says, Moses, I want you to speak to the rock. So he's changed it. Don't hit the rock, speak to the rock. Now, I like that because maybe people were saying, you know, yeah, sure, you hit the rock and you move something so that water then came flowing out. Of, out. No, this time just speak to it. Well, Moses had had enough with the grumbling and complaining of the people. He had had enough of what he was having to endure as a leader and I'll tell you, I, I can't imagine what it was like for him. And so what does he do? He raises his arm, and in the context, it's in anger. And he struck the rock, not once, but twice with a staff. Water gushed out, but he had disobeyed the Lord. And so God said, God said, you are not going to enter the promised land. Oh, my gosh. I don't know, did that just... I feel bad for Moses. 
After all that he endured, he wasn't going to go into the promised land. But God is letting us know that he holds everybody accountable. We are all accountable to obey the word of God. There's not one set of rules for Moses and another set of rules for the people. It's for everyone. Sometimes we don't respond well in a situation because we're rash and we're angry. I don't like it when it comes out of me. I don't like it when I do that. And I have over the years looked at the cost. And I wonder if you've ever thought about the, the cost. Saying hurtful things in the moment that we can never take back. And it leaves a bruise, maybe a permanent bruise in the life of someone. Maybe we, we, we speak out of anger because we've just had enough of the, of the way that our child is responding to us. And you just can't take that back. We retaliate against someone because they've hurt us. Someone cuts us off and so we do the same thing to them. We just respond out of anger. I got to tell you, I have never made a good decision out of anger. I can't think of one that I've ever, a good decision I've ever made in my life when I was angry. Never. We tend to be rash. We tend to be irrational. And this is damaging to everybody who's around us. So what's the answer? Ephesians 4 says, in your anger, do not sin. There is a righteous anger. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. Deal with it now. Deal with it now. Walk away. Deal with it immediately. And then, once you're calm, address the situation. But don't deal with it when you're angry. Here's the last thing I want you to see, and that is repetitive sin patterns. I'm not going to say much about this. What I want you to see in this is that now we're all the way to chapter 20, and guess what? The people are still, the people are still grumbling. The people are still complaining. They're still complaining against God. They're still complaining against his chosen leaders, Moses and Aaron. If only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness? What I've learned in my life is that there are certain patterns in all of our lives that are dishonoring to God and negatively impact not just us, but the people around us. And these, these things just seem to repeat and to repeat and to repeat. After a while, we just learn to live with it. and We say, oh, it's just who I am. No. Just who I am is never an excuse. Because God can transform you. What I, I want you to imagine that there's a wall here. And there's something that you said, okay, I'll never do this. I'll never do this. I'll never do this. But once you kind of break through that wall, every time you go through that wall, it makes the hole bigger. And it becomes easier and easier to step across that threshold. I've seen it in my own life. And it gets harder and harder to go back and to rebuild that walls and say, no, I'm not going to cross that threshold again whatever that threshold is for you. And so the challenge here 
is that we need to learn. God had disciplined them, and yet the people didn't learn. We have to learn as the Lord speaks to us. And so we see this. Allow God's discipline to bring lasting change. My son, do not rebuke the Lord's discipline or despise the Lord's discipline. Accept it. Do not resent his rebuke in your life because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. God delights in you. God delights in you. And he brings discipline to our lives that we would change. I want to close with this. In your, I want you to see this here. I want to close with this. Um, You have in front of you a card that looks like this, I hope. If not, they're available on the tables. Um, You may not have grabbed it this morning. You may not have known what it was, but if you didn't pick it up, you can pick it up on the way out. This is basically just a copy or printed this very passage. I want you to hear what it says. Moses is at the end of his life. He says, now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you, and it's not beyond your reach. You can do this, Moses says. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it, and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. It's not in heaven so that somebody has to go up there and get it for us, nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No. Hear this. The word of God is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. The word of God is not at a distance. The word of God is here and God has planted it on our hearts. And now he wants us by the Holy Spirit to be committed to following it, to obeying it, to living it out in our lives. See, and here's the decision. I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Here's your choice, he says. Life and prosperity, death and destruction. Now, which do you want to choose? He goes on and he says this, For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Friends, the great lie of the world is that driving our own car is the way to peace and prosperity and life. It is the way of death and destruction. The way of life is living as God created you to live. Is living in obedience even when we don't understand. Even when we're afraid. Even when we're confused. Even when we're alone. And so on the bottom of this card at the end of this passage... We wrote this, today I renew my commitment to seek life and prosperity by choosing to to obey the commands of God. I want to challenge you before God to sign this and to keep this somewhere, maybe in your Bible, maybe on your mirror, um, maybe in your car, maybe in your office, wherever you're going to see it. You're not going to be perfect, but it's a decision that says, God, I have faith in your word. You are the one I want driving the car.
I want to follow you. I want to obey you because I want life. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the power of your word. It's extraordinary as we go through and we see the things, God, that you have done. It's extraordinary to us that we don't live by faith all the time. But God, we confess that we just, we see life from our own limited perspective. And Lord, it's our prayer that you would open the eyes of your people. Your word is near. Your word is in our hearts by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And God, we choose life. We choose obedience. Because God, we want to be on that journey of seeing you do what only you can do. To change us, to change the world around us for the glory of the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen.